0: Good morning from a very sunny Zurich. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brulé. Coming up over the next 60 minutes, my guest today, Juliet Lindley author, broadcaster. Have you done any books yet? I don't know. I, I said you're an author. <laughs> anyway, also uh, Christoph Munger is also here. Uh, he runs the Foreign Desk at the Tagess Anzeiger here in Switzerland. Juliet, I will start with you. Yes. What's your big story of the day?
1: Well, I've got three stories
0: of no, the no, day. No, no, just one for no, now. No, come the, on. For the opening of the show. Go ahead. Well,
1: we're going to look at faith, of course, at the Vatican and in the U.S., and also why ladies in Rome dress up a lot when they go for dinners in Renaissance Palazzi.
0: Okay, very good. Uh, Christoph, what have uh, you uh, seen in, in your paper or other newspapers, maybe? <laughs> it
2: it's, it's a story uh, in Sonntag's Zeitung, uh, and the title runs, He Became a Woman uh, to Escape uh, Military Service, and uh, he is 100% male. It took him two minutes and cost of 75 Swiss francs.
0: Amazing. Uh, what that's going to do for the Swiss uh, forces, I don't know. Also, our editor-in-chief, Andrew Tuck, will bring us his view from Palma, and we'll be staying in the Med uh, and we'll be talking to our France and North Africa correspondent, Mary Fitzgerald, the founding executive director of the Zurich Art weekend charlotte von schotzingen is also going to be here to talk about their exhibitions and events that are run like essential this evening it's the 11th of june 2023 live from zurich this is monocle on sunday
1: live from zurich this is Monaco on sunday with tyler Brule.
0: and good morning again it is still a very very uh, sunny absolutely it's sort of a Picture perfect late spring. Is it summer yet? Is it officially summer yet? Have we had? No, it's not. 21st yet. of June. 21st. We've got we've, it. Yeah, it does. Anyway, it feels very summery. Good morning, Juliet. Good morning, Christoph. Very nice to see both of you. Uh, Juliet, you're supposed to say good morning back.
1: Good morning, good morning. Thank you. That's better.
0: That's better. Uh, Juliet, you've got so many notes scribbled. You you were researching for the show yesterday. We had the body market here yesterday. That was. You brought so many participants. Amazing listeners of the body market. In case you don't know, after all of these years, this is a yeah a little market that we do in celebration uh, and 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 really to mark the start of the the swimming season. Even though in some Corners of Zurich. It started well over um, about months six, ago, six weeks ago. But you wouldn't lake. want to be in the lake anyway. Did you go in the lake yesterday?
1: No, I didn't go yesterday because I was here at the body market. Well, I thought maybe after you,
0: know, after you were here helping all of your yeah. friends, you know, dismantle their stalls, you might have. No,
1: I know. didn't. I think Christoph did. Did you go for a swim, Christoph, yesterday?
0: Not yet. You do not Oh, not yet. <laughs> Too <laughs> no. cold. No, I, I will. I, I will be. I will be leg bound uh, in in a moment uh, as well. Much to cover, but I, I want to uh, maybe talk about this. I think our listeners, of course, heard. I introduced you as an author at the start of the show. You said that you're you're working on on a book. It's going to start this summer. And what? Tell us about the book. Yeah,
1: you know how they say everyone has a book in them. Um, And most people, it just should stay in them. Well, no, my book is it. No, I wrote it when the kids were small and it's an edible Roman alphabet. So it's like A is for Arrabbiata, B is for Bruschetta. And you go all the way through the alphabet, excluding the letters that aren't used very much in Italian. Um, And it's, yeah, I'm waiting for the editors to call me. Okay, and The agents.
0: So we yeah. and we and we actually an we spent more time getting into the show discussing the letters that are, are missing in the Italian alphabet. Yeah, so yeah like
1: J and J, K and right.
0: Oh no, K as well. No K, K
1: as well. Yeah, okay. Y. They don't use Y.
0: Okay, so what happens to those? You just sort you of you put an
1: I instead of a Y, or you'd put GI to make the J sound. Okay, and CCK would be the K sound. CCH would be the K. Or you sound.
2: can refer to Latin, and then you are back well, in the business. There you go. Like juventus <laughs> like <laughs> the
1: Socrates.
2: What are we thinking for L?
0: Limone. I can't
1: remember no. now.
0: Limoncello for the kids.
1: <laughs> Limoncello for the kids.
0: <laughs> Robert, is Woo. something with food. <laughs> <laughs> Always
1: edible. Has to be. I could do an edible Vatican alphabet. Oh, It'd be would. exactly the same
0: because they eat the same thing, but it would sound more exotic. What, they, what is on the Vatican diet?
1: Same as in Rome. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get that Brusque, bit. Okay. That I, thought, I thought you
0: were just saying that it wasn't a very creative canteen at the Vatican.
1: No, 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 no. no. They have no. amazing restaurants. I'm
0: sure they do. Um, Christoph, what is that, what's caught your eye this morning? We're going to dive into many, many stories. Uh, we'll, we'll come back to, to the story that you teased our listeners with uh, about being able to change your identity for a couple of francs. Uh, what else What else have you seen?
2: Yeah, I've seen an Amsterdam Sonntag uh, op-ed by a former head of a teacher's training college in Switzerland and he uh, points out something we know already but the, the teachers are overloaded with bureaucracy and everything. And as a former teacher, I mean, a youth to teach 35 years ago, we had already then the same discussions, but I, I guess the problem has, has increased very much, excuse me, I, I guess we, the lost problem, some,
0: we lost some <laughs> n- newspapers off the, the table, the problem
2: is. has increased very much, and uh, he he now points out that uh, uh, schools, and especially the bureaucracy behind it, and even the teachers f- should focus more on their core businesses, and which is basically math and language, and a uh, uh, very simple thing, but uh, it's really the, the, the schools are overloaded with bureaucracy. i have the same impression. I'm father of three kids uh, who go to school and I see this uh, almost every day and uh, I'm just wondering whether we see the same phenomenon in other countries yeah. Well
0: or even even in different school districts, Juliet, do you feel that uh, that your kids uh, and as uh, a hardworking author, a working mom uh, that there's too much bureaucracy in the schools?
1: I don't see that that much in the international school system, to be honest. They're doing the international baccalaureate, so maybe that makes a difference.
0: It's more streamlined?
1: Very streamlined.
0: Okay. Uh, speaking of um, streamlined, streamlined in form anyway, Andrew Tuck, our editor-in-chief, uh, is in Palma today. Andrew, where are you joining us from? I mean, we know you're in Palma, but uh, wh- where where do we find you geographically, precisely?
3: You you find me uh, actually at home, uh, looking out across the Palma Tennis Club. So, uh in uh, Son Odd Ard- Armadams is, is the neighborhood, and that's where I am. And uh, <laughs> I've enjoyed the show already. I like I like the idea of a papal cookbook. Uh, that's, yeah, that's the papal good.
0: cookbook. So Andrew, so are you thinking maybe of a Majorcan or um, or a Malayric, uh A to Z? I mean, you could sort of do the follow up. We will we'll let Juliet set the tone with the cookbook, and then and then you could jump in with yours, right?
3: I think it would be good. I think, although it, it's pretty, there'd definitely be limoncello on offer. We're crossing over with the Italian book here because I think that I get served, it seems, at the end of every meal here. So yeah, limoncello. Apparently, meloncello is quite a good thing here as well, which I have yet to
0: try. But okay, I'm I'm going to put you on the spot though. So an L, an L dish from from oh mallorquino or even spanish oh cuisine Let, let's think l oh my
1: gosh that's a hard one
0: it's tricky i know Juliet's like on her phone already trying to find something
1: Papa's <laughs> us beginning with
2: l and andrew,
0: andrew paint, paint us a picture as you look out across that wonderful modernist uh tennis court uh what, what are you seeing uh in that lovely little square in palma right now
3: well, well, the good thing is when you start your day here in, in Palm, as you said, there's a tennis club, but it's a Swedish run, but very, very popular. So you feel both torn that you're not doing enough, but inspired a little bit every morning because there's people playing tennis. There's people already swimming in their pool and I can nose through the glass window of the, the uh, studio and I can see people doing some exercise class already. So that that's good. Although some people are just having breakfast down down on the terrace. But the jacaranda trees are out, so there's this bright flashes of purple across across the skyline, and it's it's sunny, a little bit, a little bit thin cloud, but it's been a pretty amazing couple of days here. So yeah, it's all all, all rather good in Parma.
0: And it's a it's a week uh, down uh, on that island, uh, or are you are you scampering off elsewhere?
3: Uh, no, I'm going to do. Uh, we've um, so very kindly, I managed to find a couple of stories to do uh, on Monday and Tuesday, which That's should convenient. be good. convenient. I know it's good. Hey and um but yeah we're going to stay down here to the end of the week
0: and, and then it, we move into um a very very busy party season uh it uh, it seems anyway because a week from tomorrow we'll we've got milan and we've got uh, we've got bangkok and we have zurich london paris um and this is i guess it's to coincide with a couple of things uh, we've got uh well I, I should probably get a copy tomorrow we should get the first copies off the truck of our uh, of our july august issue which you must keep under wraps because, of course, that has uh, our our quality of life uh, ranking. Uh, the new confect just came in, and then we're also—I uh, know—we're sending the the companion is pretty much off on press, and we, we we just did our cover, a very punchy yellow cover that's going to to be coming out, and then I guess you get back, and then we've got, um, and of course, you're you're getting into the vibe right now because we've got Meditrania coming up as well. Yeah,
3: so we've got to have our big summer newspaper coming up, uh, which which we've <laughs> managed to cleverly coincide the production dates with almost completely matching with September. So that will be fun. But then, then we're also prepping now, of course, for the Quality of Life Conference, and that's the thing that I'm also excited about. We have lots of requests going out to amazing speakers, and people already signed up. But it's great just to see how many people have already bought tickets and are going to join us in Munich as well at the at the end of August for those three days.
0: Indeed. Actually, I'm going to Munich tomorrow morning, Andrew, and I'm going to be doing a little bit of the technical run through because what's, uh, I guess, different, I'm not saying that our, our conferences uh, have, have been, you know, analog, uh, cer- certainly not, but uh, we'll be hosting uh, this year's Quality Life Conference um I just in Munich at uh, the headquarters uh, of of Allianz, and they have an absolutely extraordinary amphitheater, uh, and and much more sort of teched out than um, our, our team is prepared. Anyway, nevertheless, we are flying the team, so they sort of understand the full capability um, of this space. So it's um, I, I know you just um, you just interviewed one of the members of, of Abba, and uh, you know obviously um, I'm wondering if, if we should probably have some type of avatar approach to this, maybe.
3: Well, that's good because then we could do the conference in multiple cities
0: around the world at well, the same time. You could just say Palma, could not you? You could do it from there.
3: <laughs> but it sounds like there might be a lot of big headsets this year, Tyler.
0: No, Andrew. So tell me if there. Well, there could be. Tell me uh, for uh, for those uh, listeners who are not familiar uh, with with the Quality of Life Conference, uh, three reasons why people should be making their way to it uh, to Munich. Uh, at li- I mean, at the very latest by August thirty first.
3: Well, I think the, the first thing is that it's not like most conferences where you go and everybody's a lawyer or everybody's a dentist. So everybody's within their field. You meet people who are from every every sector you can think of, from d- design, from architecture, from the media, from defence, from you know big industry. And the thing that everybody has in common is that they read monocle. So there's a there's a reason to speak to each other. So it's it's very very friendly. People are there to engage. Most people seem to come on their own. So they 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 want to meet other people. And the thing I find always most extraordinary is just how these people become friends, connected. And so many of these people then go on to do, do things in business together, even just go on holiday together. They they become they become a really interesting network. I think the other thing is that you know that we, we get so used to kind of seeing what the world looks like from where we stand. And I'm always impressed by the ability just to be in a different place and to be dunked into its culture and its society, how that makes you feel a little bit differently. So that happened in Paris last year, and I think that will happen again in Munich, a city that many people think they have an impression of, but I think which is going to surprise people a lot. And I think the other, finally, the other kind of really important thing is is the, the level of conversation you hear on stage. It's not a world of TED Talks. It's not people kind of like doing kind of amateur dramatics up on stage. It's people who come to tell real life experiences, things learned, things they want to pass on. And you come away kind of, I think everyone always leaves inspired and with a, a notebook full of ideas that they want to follow up on.
0: Very tempting, Andrew. Okay, now just stand by. You mentioned the world defense. Uh, I want to go to uh, to Christoph uh, to pick up on a story that uh, he led with uh, in the uh, opening of, of the program. It's a story uh, out of today's Sonntag Zeitung. Um, it impacts, obviously, the uh, Swiss military, uh, and it is about someone who's gone and changed their, their identity at extraordinary speed and um, at, at a snip of the price as well. Uh, just to uh, Bring us up to speed on the story, Christoph. <laughs>
2: yeah, thank you. I mean, uh, since 2022, you can uh, change in Switzerland, you can change your sex uh, without big bu- bureaucratic problems. And now a, a young man, he's about, I think, 22 or 23 years old, uh, and he was due to do, to join the, mil- the, the military service in, in Switzerland that is mandatory for men. And uh, he changed uh, his sex in, in the way he just went to the, the civil servant of his uh, community and, and uh, he told that he wanted to change and he wasn't asked any questions because they could, be uh, could be understood in the wrong way. So uh, it took him two minutes and uh, he became a woman and he didn't even have to change his first name. So he has still his male first name. And he also says in, in the article, I mean, of course, he's an ally, an he's anonymous, but he told the, the colleague that he feels 100 percent male and uh, but he could avoid now uh, Swiss military service and uh, which is quite important i mean some people don't have don't are not able maybe to change uh, to join the, the army because for psychological reasons physical reasons whatever and uh, these people have to to pay a fee based on on their yearly income and as a woman, you don't have to pay because <laughs> he's a double winner. He doesn't have to join the army and he doesn't have to pay. And uh, he, he, he said uh, it's quite amazing. And he even thinks that maybe one day um, uh, he's going to, to change back in, in the case he wants to get married be, because he's not, re, not very fond of, of same-sex marriages. He's even a member of the uh, Swiss uh, uh, Swiss National Party, SRP, the very right-wing party that makes uh, its campaign paying for the forthcoming elections in 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 autumn also on on the question of wokeness and everything and so uh uh, it's quite an amazing story, actually. So, I mean, it, it raises
0: many questions, uh, Christoph. Yeah. Is, you know, has he done this also to even show up the absurdity? Because you're saying the SVP, is he also making a point that he went to his local Gemeinde, his community, no one asked any questions because people are terrified to ask mm. questions about anything these days? <laughs> Were they supposed to ask questions? Um, at the same time, you know, is he also saying that this is fantastic for the Swiss military because maybe there's lots of women who can become men mm. and then join the military? Because it's <laughs> kind of endless I mean I think about yeah this is the this is the season right now we're talking about having our body market exactly. yesterday <laughs> that now, you know, he can now go to the women's side I guess and get all his goods out in front of everyone because he's officially a woman right yeah. I
2: mean, and he even if he cho- joins the, the army now he is in the women's department within the barracks you know in the showers and the, and, and the sleeping the, the rooms and so on. he would be there if he joins the army now and uh, I mean for the Swiss for the Swiss army it's of course not uh, it's not essential whether these people come or not, but still it's, it's it's very amazing. I think he wanted to make a statement, I mean, he he didn't tell the story to his, to his employer or to his colleagues, it would be much too risky, he only talked with his parents, according to the article. Mm-hmm. I'm just referring to the article, and however, I mean, at the end of the article it says that uh, it's the, the, the Ministry of Justice is, is quoted and it, 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 it says that it's basically, it's not uh, legally to, to do it this way because it's... Of course, not in 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 the sense of, of 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 the law that you can change your sex without uh, uh, answering any questions.
0: Juliet, any comments on this? Could it, could the same thing happen in Italy? Could you do this for a, a few euros <laughs> and uh, and do it within five minutes of went to the post office in in in, in Parma?
1: <laughs> I'll look into that and get back to you. But certainly, even at school, you know we have school trips coming up next week and they're all traveling to different parts of the world hence we're not parts of the world sorry parts of Europe and um, and, and and one of the mums is telling me that her son has been assigned to be in a bedroom with a girl who identifies as a boy but to all it- intents and purposes, she's she's female, but she's going to be in the room with the other three boys. And the boys were kind of a bit disconcerted by all of this. So then it had to go to higher levels. And ultimately, I think she's being put in a room on her own. But th- oh, this- see, that's
0: another ploy as well, just to get your own suite, right? <laughs> it's, a-
1: <laughs> it's unfortunate. I mean, all of this has been put in place initially to uh, to defend the most vulnerable who there are. A lot, But unfortunately, it's being exploited, it's being taken to an extreme in some cases, and it's all just become a bit of a, not laughing matter, but the whole wokeness is now really being called into question.
0: Yeah, and you talked about that just creates more bureaucracy as well for the schools, mm-hmm. uh, because you have many other layers that once upon a time it could have been, we just go, all go off on our around the world as you said I want no. like all of Gosh. these like chartered aircraft that you're uh, <laughs> no no they're your,
1: going uh, to the mountains in Germany two are, hours are, are away they, are they going by are, bus
0: they, by bus <clears> and um, is there any is there any is there any aircraft travel? because I heard about some other friends kids they're going they're doing overnight train <clears> uh, to to Berlin they're going to Berlin for five days um, so is there's, there's a bit no of... flying
1: is like everyone's trying to be a bit are easy.
0: they or no there is some yeah, flying no there isn't I mean, no, there's no, no. no flying
1: no, no no most most people are staying within Switzerland you go to Switzerland. yeah
0: all right. Did you have you had another story because you put your hand up earlier? You you wanted. No, you, I was getting back stories. to
1: Andrew with the letter L. Okay. Because, because I know well, that we're, we're going to go back to Andrew in, in a second. But, in but New
0: Andrew's Andrew's like busy with the <laughs> with the Spanish papers because I'm coming coming to him in a moment to ask him the top three stories in Spain today. Um, no. I, Go ahead, tell Faith me.
1: Faith-related matters. Please. I know you're wondering how the Pope is. He's been hospitalized I, I, for abdominal hernia, but he's okay. He's all right? Yeah, he's okay. He's going to have to stay in, in hospital for another week. And his knee is all right. I knew you were going to ask me about that. And then there's a whole issue of his, his peace envoy. He appointed a peace envoy, uh, Cardinal Matteo Zupi, sent him off to, to Kiev with a, a special peace mission. But... Both Kiev and Moscow have said they know nothing about this special peace accord that the Vatican seems to have cooked up. And so Zuppi is now saying, well, actually, we, we're we not really there to mediate. We're just there to listen. And to Is he even there?
0: That's the express. question. He went
1: there for three days. He did? Yeah, he did. And so, yeah, that, if you were wondering about the Vatican ba- via, peace deal. that Corfu bring or to Europe, something. And- yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, not an issue, but I did find an interesting New York Times analysis of uh, Mike Pence, who is running for, for president, and he's the most conservative candidate competing for the presidency. Um, but for today's Republicans, that no longer matters. So his party has changed because of his former boss, Donald Trump, under whom he served as vice president. And Republicans aren't looking for a new pastor. And uh, and anyway, the Republicans for whom faith alone and abortion issues would be the determining factor, Trump's social media post where he just said, I was able to kill Roe versus Wade, means that that's all off the pie. So essentially, Pence has been written off by pollsters despite being fiercely Christian, only married once, apparently making every decision through the filter of the Bible. So it's interesting you know um, Trump has essentially over the past seven years this article says he has trained Republican voters to value a different set of virtues in their candidates now it's about fighting hard and dirty using whatever tactics to, like vanquish the opponents and Trump has also trained Republicans to avert their gazes from behavior that would once have been considered disqualifying in conservative circles so interestingly because ironically Pence for four years averted his gaze if you want mm. from the shenanigans that were taking place now he probably is ready to Feels liberated to tell the voters what he thinks, but no one's interested.
0: Well, I'm interested, Andrew. I want to bring you in on this, and I think we all have uh, maybe uh, various observations around this. If we go to Andrew, if we sort of uh, spin our gaze to Mar a Lago, these images that emerge of all of these documents, and and again, we're not talking about uh, a couple of uh, A4 sheets uh, in in a nice Manila folder. Uh, we're really talking about you know boxes and boxes of documents which have been sort of stacked in tubs and showers. I, I mean, first, like, do they not have sort of, you know, lock up sort of self storage uh, in Palm Beach? That was my first question.
3: Well, no, the, the, the story that lots of them were just kept in boxes in in the shower. I, I hope he's got another shower. I presume he has want to think of Paul Donald's getting the documents wet as he has his shower in the morning. But um, the, the storage of them seems a bit bizarre and also the way that the, you know that they were so badly searched for in the first place so they 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 were, t- they were told to search for the documents you know his his assistants were told to look for the documents and you know he was they were told just to look into one or two rooms and storage spaces but of course then it tra- transpired that he'd got these documents all over the place and as everyone is saying this morning you know that if the security is that low around those documents including plan of attacks against Iran what you could do in a potential war situation Lots of nuclear secrets. You know that any person who was a spy who came to Maralago as a as a as a cleaner or as a as somebody who had access to those rooms, they, it could have been a field day.
0: Yeah, and but but also it, it raises so many questions uh, as well, not just uh, ones around sort of you know decorating and and one one's own interior. Uh, but but also as you said like to go and find them I mean th- there they were I mean it, mountains and mountains of boxes uh, so just I want to bring Christoph in just uh, how do you think this plays out of course we're supposed to uh, this, there should be a court date uh, at the start of this week uh, as well um, and you know and we move into the silly season uh, in many ways uh, that uh, election electioneering is in is in full gear right now uh, how does this play out but I'm also interested how does the Tagus Ansager cover the story uh,
2: I mean very closely of course I mean I also wondering what he wanted to do with all those documents, actually. Uh, it's, it's, it's really amazing. I used to work with this sort of documents, uh, doing my research for the PhD many, many years ago. And I mean, it's very interesting, but, but <laughs> for, for a historian, but what he wanted to probably showing off somewhere. Uh, but uh, I'm not so sure whether the Democrats can use this case very, very strong, because uh, they also found some documents in Biden's garage, as we know. It's not exactly the same, of course, but still, I mean, uh, uh, the Republicans can point out. And what I think is very amazing that the, all the other candidates, uh, DeSantis, Pence, everybody is siding with Trump regarding this case. And and I think it's from from um, from the outside, as we see, it, it's 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 really difficult to have all these nuclear secrets in your bathroom. And uh, I, I I do not understand why uh, why all those Republicans side with him again. And um, the the the, the, of course, the, the the campaign is already in full swing, and uh, as I, uh, I wrote at the time with the first case, I think the the winner is Donald Trump at the end uh, with this case again.
0: Yeah, Andrew, it's also you know kind of raises a bit well a business opportunity as well that uh, that maybe uh, for past presidents uh, you're able to at least uh, offer some type of uh, yeah sort of bunker facility at least to if they're going to take documents. Uh, you know clearly uh, there's there's obviously room for someone to set up some type of storage opportunity as well
3: <laughs> exactly uh, but it's it, what was also fascinating is you know that we know we're going into the, the election cycle and if if Trump stands and wins you can see how he will work to derail all of these court cases and if he does get through all of those processes and he isn't deterred you know every, everybody's just we're waiting for, to see what that reset would look like for everything from Ukraine to, you know, his 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 ability to kind of stop these investigations. So it's a it's a it's, a, it's an interesting moment because we're in the eye of the storm, but what what's ahead seems less clear.
0: Andrew, just uh, before we go, uh, what's making uh, news uh, on the Iberian uh, Peninsula? Of course, elections uh, coming up. Snap election been called um, in Spain. Uh, something else which caught my eye as well. Uh, spanish furies at the germans the germans are saying that they they don't want to buy uh irrigated or overly irrigated strawberries right now so there's a there's going to be some type of well mass ban let's see if that happens or or not but anyway people calling for uh yeah some, some type of um, yeah fatwa against fruit out of spain uh what else is in the papers there
3: well first is a local story which is which is, it seems slow to come but just this week for the first time ever Uber started operating uh, in Mallorca just in three areas one of which is uh, Parma. they're meant to take uh, bookings 30 minutes before they arrive but it is it's interesting because it's one of those stories that you know happened 10 years ago everywhere else where taxi drivers go crazy and they try to stop it but it seems that taxi drivers are beginning to sign up to the app and that some 20,000 people on the island have uh, already signed up to use Uber. It's much more expensive, oddly, to use than a, a taxi, but they have such a control over how the system works here. If You you can't pick up in in different areas, it depending where your license is from. So I think on the whole, there's a thing called People in the Streets View today in Diario de Mallorca, and they say that actually people want to see this coming. I think um, on the on the bigger scale yet, yeah, everybody's looking to see what how the negotiations are going on between different parties to see what will happen after an election. And that's the kind of big news that's on at El Pais as well.
0: Andrew Tuck uh, joining us from Palma. Thanks for that. We're going to stay in the Mediterranean uh, after the news headlines. So we'll be talking to our Mary Fitzgerald, uh, our correspondent covering North Africa, the Med and France. But first, before all of that, Emma Nelson is back in London with the news.
4: Thank you very much indeed, Tyler. The Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has confirmed his country's counteroffensive against the Russian invasion has begun. Ukrainian troops are reported to have made gains in the east near Bakhmut and in the south near Zaporizhia. The former US President Donald Trump has called the federal indictments against him ridiculous and baseless in his first public appearance since the charges were announced. A 37-count indictment was made public on Friday, accusing him of keeping sensitive documents at his Mar-a-Lago property. The Honduran government has opened an embassy in China. Chinese state media reported that foreign ministers held a ceremony in Beijing this weekend. It follows a decision earlier this year by Tegucigalpa to cut diplomatic relations with Taiwan. And a tourist is recovering after she was pushed off a cliff in Spain by an angry mountain goat. The 64-year-old Dutch woman broke both of her wrists after plummeting 20 metres down the slope in Granada in southern Spain. The tourist had been travelling with two Belgian hikers. They then became the targets for the mountain goat, who knocked one of them unconscious. And those are the headlines. Back to you, Tyler, in Zurich.
0: Emma, I need to uh, we'll challenge you on the source of that story. Who, who's reporting that? Is this out of like NRC Handelsblatt or where's where it coming from? It's
4: Reuters, <laughs> it's In... A- AP, um, AFP and the Daily Mail. <laughs>
0: now, do we have any uh, any images of, of the goat? I don't want to see what happened to the, the, the poor victim of all of this, uh, the, the Dutch woman, but... Uh, this, this uh, angry goat.
4: No, but um, if you go to the Despierta Andalusia website, they do have a live um, commentary and, and report from near the scene. So I would I would suggest you go and sort of talk to one of their correspondents. It was pretty good new pretty big news in Granada and pretty good big news for the lady and for the goat, I imagine.
0: I was going to say <laughs> a, a, a busy, busy news day in, in Granada that they're running a live feed on this.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, the goat, the goat apparently had, had got quite cross that um, people had strayed into his or her. We don't know those details, uh, their territory. Um, and so decided to sort of take a punt at people are like on his patch. <laughs> I know how he feels sometimes, I have to be yeah,
0: absolutely. <laughs> Emma Nelson, maybe we'll catch up with you before the show. It's uh, just uh, going uh, 17, uh, going 1732 uh, in uh, Tokyo. It's uh, 1532 in Bangkok. It's 1032 as well as it is in Zurich. Also uh, in Marseille, where we're heading uh, right now to speak to our correspondent there, uh, Mary Fitzgerald. Bonjour, Mary. Good morning. Good morning, Tyler. Uh, tell us, uh, I mean, you've, you've got a bit of the, the maybe the Mediterranean flavor. We were talking uh, to, to Andrew. Uh, it's, you know, the, well, certainly France uh, ended on a, a, a bit of a, sad note but also you could say a, a positive note as well in terms of no fatalities the this, this story out of honesty which is uh, uh continues to run uh as well in the french in the french papers uh this is obviously something which uh, has, has been big news uh but i think there's probably some other things which have uh, also caught your eye this morning
5: Yes, indeed, and uh, very much relates to um, to weather patterns uh, around the Mediterranean more generally, and uh, and in France and in particular, uh, Emmanuel Macron, the the French president, was in Nîmes um, earlier this month for a visit to basically highlight. Uh, what france expects to be in an, yet another challenging summer in terms of um, the number of wildfires particularly around the southwest and southeast um, the fires are starting earlier and earlier each year um, and macron was very keen to to stress that basically this is um, something that needs to be tackled not just from a governmental Um, level, but also that it's it's about personal responsibility so that each French citizen um, has a role to play in terms of trying to to tackle this, uh, this phenomenon. Last year was the second uh, worst Uh, European wildfire season on record, um, and most were around the Mediterranean uh, rim, France particularly affected. I recently spent a day with uh, trainee firefighters in Provence about an hour from from Marseille for a piece that will appear in a a Monocle uh, summer edition. Uh, later uh, in a couple of months' time. And it was really, really interesting to talk to these trainee firefighters. I wasn't aware, actually, until that day that majority of firefighters in, in France are actually volunteers. There are historical reasons for that. And these were all young people who were coming from parts of Provence that had been particularly hit by, by wildfires in, in recent years. Very interesting in terms of how they saw that challenge um, and how it can actually be tackled. Or is this a phenomenon and that basically people have to uh, prepare to, to live with long term.
0: Mary, just uh, going back to, of course, uh, President Macron uh, calling on the French to to have a level of self responsibility that everyone obviously has a role to play in in all of this, all of this. Does this also come with a, a promise or some monetary outlay for new water bombers, other things? Because of course, you can say yes. You you probably um, you know shouldn't flick your giton uh, in in a. Uh, a crunchy dry forest but also we have a lot of forest fires do start because of lightning and and there are also natural causes a, as well so was it yeah i would say more of a pr rallying cry or did it actually uh come with budgets uh that would be deployed to ministries as well
5: there is uh, more investment um, in terms of, of ministries and also just, you know, local fire uh, fighting forces on the ground as well in different regions, particularly the worst affected regions. Um, I do think, however, if you if you actually crunch the The figures on this in terms of how um, many of the wildfires are are actually caused it does come down to that question of of personal responsibility so this year france has actually decided that it's going to ban any kind of smoking um, in in forested areas in in natural areas so it's interesting that they're trying to strike that balance
0: Mm. Uh, yeah, that, let's see how well that's uh, sort of uh, dealt with uh, when people are lakeside and elsewhere and the sun is setting and, uh, and, there's, and there's a beer open. But uh, why don't we uh, maybe just uh, yeah, maybe shift uh, our view uh, to the other side of the Med. Uh, really interesting story that you've got out of, out of the Maghreb, which is a bit of a shift, isn't it, between, uh, of course, French and French being, you know, uh, either a parallel tongue or in many households also the mother tongue um, in, in various uh, countries across the, the Maghreb, but a shift towards English.
5: Yes, indeed. And this is something that I've personally noticed over a number of years now, traveling across uh, the the Francophone countries of of North Africa, you know, as a result of globalization and how globalization is affecting the younger generations in Morocco, Algeria and Tunisia, you're seeing a shift away uh, from the French language. And there are a number of reasons for this. Um, first of all, English is increasingly seen as a language of opportunity, the language of opportunity in a globalized world. Uh, French is seen, um, particularly in the last, I think, three to five years as the language of you know, the former colonial power. So there is kind of a, a resistance to that, if you like. But I think it's more about... English being seen as a language of opportunity. Young Moroccans, young Algerians, young Tunisians, you know they would they would like to, they aspire to move to countries like the United States, the United Arab Emirates, Qatar, globalized economies where the lingua franca is is English and not French. Uh, so that's really the key factor here. There was a very interesting survey um, conducted by the British Council in Morocco last year, uh, sorry, in 2021, where it found that 40% of young Moroccans consider English to, to be the most important language to learn compared to 10% for French. So that kind of shows very bluntly um, how the tide is, is, is changing here. And what we've seen over the last Two years is in Algeria, and um, today, uh, this year in, in Morocco, we're seeing the governments in those two countries actually introduce compulsory teaching of English in the educational system. So that shows that this isn't simply just a, a thing on a popular level, where you know the elites of these countries might feel that their kids should learn English uh, as a language of opportunity. But this is also a governmental decision to um, to institute this shift. And it was interesting how you know the the French have. Uh, an annual summit for the Francophonie. And last year it was held in Djerba, in Tunisia. And it was really interesting just reading the media reports from that summit. The French are really worried about this shift uh, away from French to, to English for obvious reasons, because it means that the influence that France has in those countries, its former colonies in North Africa, it's, going, it's, it's shifting away and uh, it's a different type of, of, of influence. Uh, so really, really interesting in terms of what that says about what's happening in North Africa and indeed perhaps other parts Parts of, of Francophone Africa
0: as well. Uh, Mary, just before uh, we go, just uh, a story which is a bit closer to home to you. I mean, quite literally on, on your doorstep. Uh, and, and I guess it is a story of its time. We've, we've been through uh, three years of, of course, where we've seen tourism numbers uh, and the hospitality industry in many ways uh, not quite decimated, but, but more than challenged. But of course, uh, yeah, the smart money knew this would, uh, would bounce back and would bounce back with a vengeance. And this is, sounds like it's really what's happening in Marseille at the moment.
5: Yes, indeed, uh, tourist season came came early to to Marseille uh, this year. I think it's actually worth noting here that, you know, there's a lot of talk around the Mediterranean that um, this region, which is still the world's most visited holiday destination, that the tourist season is shifting. So Mediterranean tourism is shifting to spring and autumn. Uh, so tour operators, tourists, trends more generally, we're talking about May, June, and September as as increasingly popular months to to avoid the the high temperatures of July and August. So I think that's happening in Marseille as well. I was really struck um, last month and also at the end of April just to see tour buses clogging uh, some of Marseille's narrow streets and causing traffic jams. Um, And quite extraordinary because as somebody who now lives in Marseille and has been visiting Marseille for over 20 years, and, you know, there was a time not so long ago when Marseille was not really on anybody's destination list, and now it has become this kind of fashionable, buzzy uh, destination. And, of course, that has triggered A debate in the city about uh, touristification. So there's a lot of discussion in Marseille about how the city avoids uh, becoming another Barcelona, um, another Lisbon in terms of some of the negative consequences we've seen of, of touristification in both those cities.
0: Mayor Fitzgerald, our correspondent, Marseille, thank you very much for that. Have a very good Sunday. Julie, I just want to bring you uh, in on this. Of course, uh, you are uh, someone who holidays, uh, has a house not too far from the Med, uh, but maybe in, in an area which is maybe not so clogged, uh, etc. Et and I'm just wondering... I'm, I'm curious this this point about actually the holiday season sort of changing because of the heat around the Met, et cetera. And people want to go, to go in 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 spring and then also in um, in autumn. Um, are you sticking to your um, Ferragosto um, and uh, and cling, clinging on?
1: We cling on. We cl- well, ironically, Ferragosto, fifteenth of August, national holiday in Italy and in other Catholic countries. This is the first day of school here in Switzerland for our children most unfortunate it's like a crime against humanity to have an italian husband who has to drive the kids back to school on 15th but no yeah of course we cling on to it like you wouldn't want to be anywhere other than in the med in the hottest months of the year, but that's also just because we don't get to go down as much as we used to. But I was just reading in La Repubblica about how prices have soared at the lidos, at the at the stabilimenti in Italy, and they've they've gone up massively. And I mean, of course, it has the top ten most expensive beach clubs. Now that's of, obviously not where the average person. I know you go to Twiga, but that's <laughs> the top one. I don't go to and Twiga Twiga Forte Marmi, I, Marmi, which we don't really like it that much with its black sand and murky water. I, but I, I know.
0: I I am a Fort I'm a Forte, I'm a Forte Marmi oh. fan, but oh. yeah no, but uh, but Other maybe ones. yeah, I, maybe like a, a pasta arselle at at Bagne Bruno. Pasta la what? Arselle, you know, the, the, the have? little clams, the little tom.
1: ah, <laughs> telline they call them down south. Well, okay, yeah, yeah, so that's what they call them the, there. The anyway. most expensive one is in Salento in Puglia, which is the heel of the t- of the of the Italian boot, and it's apparently the Cinque Vele Beach Club, and for a day, you, okay, you get an aperitivo, you get a gazebo, you get towels and everything. A grand, like a thousand euro. Okay. Anyway, but, but listen. But
0: if, if but, you compare that, so this mm. like people are happy to spend. I mean, not happy, but people are spending two, three thousand euros on a hotel room in Milan, which you're actually maybe only using for eight hours because you're out all day. How you many hours there? do you
1: go to the beach for? You getting getting there at six a.m. and okay, you down your towel. Six a.m. But you
0: might, you know, you might. 10. But you be there. No, yeah. but you be there for maybe over eight hours. You're there from what eleven until eight in the evening or something. Sounds
1: then, like a bargain.
0: It's important. No, yeah, no. no, but you can ah, no. I can see I can see why people well mm. I mean why operators can but, get away with a thousand.
1: I guess. But you know, on average a family is now having to spend around a hundred euro just to go to any regular supplement and just get towels and, and umbrellas and whatever. Because in Italy you don't do what I know you do in other countries, which is you just rock up with your own umbrella on your shoulder. Yes, this is your big bag. Because well, like, they privatize coolest.
0: the beaches pretty much.
1: No, no, not necessarily. It's just that you want infrastructure. That's I listen. I'm
0: all it. for infrastructure, but no. But it, it is true. There's always that tiny, tiny patch that's like for the public, Yeah. right? And then, of course, you've got all of the all the, the leader. Where, where I just tell what I want. The rest of the top ten. You've, I, we have to always finish a list. So
1: no, I, I I just wrote down the top two. Oh, you
0: only wrote the top two. <laughs>
1: I didn't have time. No, but I did want okay. to tell you about Romans and how they dressed. No, we're
0: going to come back to that. You're we're not going to,
1: come... to get back to that. I know we, you're We going are to... going
0: to come back okay. to that. We're going to go to uh, go away for it. a very short break. Uh, when we come back, we'll be talking about the Zurich Art Weekend. Stay with us. Join Monocle every weekday and let the briefing guide and inspire you through uncertain times
3: always keeping you ahead of the curve. Hear razor-sharp insights and opinion from Monocle's bureau and correspondents, as well as a lineup of brilliant minds
5: from around the world. It's devolving to a point where we're at at odds with each other, instead of letting our political leaders do the dirty work, so to speak. Heavyweight coverage, no
3: white noise, and always delivered with a smile. I think the grey areas lead to a lot of sort of awkward conversations, and there's nothing the English dislike more than awkward conversations. Keep your appointment with The Briefing every weekday at 1300 CET, noon in London and 7am in New York City, here on Monocle Radio.
0: with Monocle on Sunday. Uh, we are live in Zurich, 10.45, almost coming up to 10.46 uh, here uh, in this stretch of Europe. And I'm very happy uh, to say that it is, we're in the midst of, uh, yeah, it's Zurich Art Weekend. It's sort of the, the, the really the start of also uh, Art Week uh, in Switzerland, uh, Basel uh, around the corner as well, but lots of uh, familiar faces, interesting visitors in town uh, because the Art Weekend is underway, uh, at least until, uh, I guess, the, this evening. I'm very happy to say uh, that I have uh, Charlotte von Stotzingen here, uh, one of the founders, uh, of course, uh, of the fair uh, here this morning uh, to maybe sort of bring us up to speed. Tell us a little bit about the positioning um, of the Zurich Art Weekend, its starting point, uh, and where is it today? Good morning.
6: Morning, morning, everyone. Um, So we started it in 2018 with 34 venues of town. The idea was to reunite the whole ecosystem of Zurich in order to create here and exchange like a platform for exchange, um, reuniting artists, curators, museum directors, collectors, like coming from all over the world before at Basel. And um, yeah, six years later, so we're now on the sixth edition and we have our 73 venues um, presenting for the weekend, like a program of about eight exhibitions and uh, 130 events over three days. Um, we're super glad because it's it's really the moment where all the artists gather, so we have about like under 20 artists in town this weekend, and um yeah, all about content, all about exchange, and uh, we're very glad about that.
0: So uh, I have to ask the question: uh, li- You know, listeners will know that uh, Basel and Zurich, uh, you know, famously uh, at, at loggerheads, uh, great rivals uh, in in this country. Uh, being a little bit cynical was the was the idea to be complimentary because of course you know the much of the world you know flying in uh for uh art basel uh, basel airport very nice not very well served internationally unless you're coming in on your own aircraft but otherwise if you're flying in commercially from all over the world you've got to fly through zurich pretty much um so was it really the idea to start this to look at people are coming to zurich anyway uh why don't we serve them with the galleries and everything that's here um or or is it or is it something more to it as well to say maybe we can actually have a rival fair uh to 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 basel
6: no it was never the ideal to have a rival fair and actually we're very much complimentary because um here it's about a the artists like presenting exhibitions actually it's not a gallery weekend it's really we're reunited like the whole art ecosystem so starting with universities to have spaces galleries art centers institutions foundations collections even publishers really was the idea to enable people to have a deep engagement with the arts during these weekends and to make new discovery to make new encounters we really like the the word weekend. we like to think of that time that three days not busy not like when you come to Basel, it's about yeah galleries selling uh, one appointment after the other, and and therefore we are actually collaborating with Art Basel since since the start. Um, yesterday night we had a wonderful dinner and party. Um, therefore my voice is gone. It's uh, <laughs> good
0: voice for radio though. It's fine. <laughs>
6: <laughs> and uh, and they were there as well, you know, with um, with their um, uh, all their, uh, team, big collectors from all over, um, because they want this context. Basically they. They, they 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 really come here to meet the artists to to have the time to 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 have those encounters and then you know when it comes to basel it's about okay getting the business done mm. but now we're also realizing um um especially after covid i think the the uh, th- there is a shift a bit and it's maybe the first time that that i heard people coming to zurich and then not going to basel uh, which was like quite surprising actually to me um but I think because like they they yeah they're seeking for this deep engagement and um, yeah.
0: Tell me uh, just thinking on the topic of engagement, how much of this is, is focused on a let's say or you're you have to think about catering to a, a Zurich and domestic audience versus this being a global event. You know what is what is the balance because you know as you said it's on a weekend. Um, you know, beautiful weather, great time to be out, uh, et cetera. So when you think about the programming, how much is it to the local audience versus international?
6: So it's um, 50-50, really. So, and, and actually the local audience find it actually amazing to have these international audience in town. And therefore they also go out, even if it's like the institution they have just next door and the galleries they have just next door and so on and so forth. That's the moment where they have actually the possibility to have, all these international people coming. What I found interesting in Switzerland that since the country is like uh, quite small, like um, the uh, all the people, like talented individuals in the arts, like Swiss people, about the like keep very strong ties with switzerland and that what we also see like during this weekend that um, they might live and work all over the world and run the like biggest institution we can think of or being the greatest curators or writers or artists we know they're here for that weekend because they it's family you know it's like the family get together again
0: uh, just uh... Before we go, I'm, uh, I'm curious, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but uh, it runs till this evening. And then, uh, of course, uh, things start to kick off uh, in, in Basel from tomorrow. Uh, three highlights for you. Uh, doesn't ha- you know Just if you think about what's, uh, what stood out, and uh, you know, maybe there are people who are listening uh, who have another seven hours or so to, to make their way to, uh, to Zurich or are, are in town. What's, uh, what stands out for you?
6: so uh, i did like three picks for this afternoon so first there are exhibitions all over town so you can go on like the website and like uh by area search for like the exhibition around you um there is an artist talk with shawana shabazi at uh, peter Kirchmann at 12. if you uh, want to straight go into a deep engagement and topic with iranian artists based actually in zurich working here um, there are artworks with young curators of the university of the arts like they bring you for like a. a Two hours like round to discover different institutions, and um there is a talk with Arthur Jaffe and Heinz Ulrich Obobrest this afternoon at three thirty at um Luma Westbau at the Löwenbräukunst and I think that's also like a nice place to to have a first entry point. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and plenty to uh, fill up your day uh, on a Sunday. Uh, Charlotte von And thank you very, very much. Uh, great having you here. Have a good end of uh, the weekend. Uh, you're listening to Monocle uh, Radio, and this is Monocle on Sunday with me, uh, Tyler Brulé. Um, Juliette, I want to go to, to you, uh, not right away though, because I think we want to end on a, on a fun note. Uh, we should probably just pick up on Ukraine <laughs> though with, with Christoph uh, as well, because we're talking beforehand. Uh, of course, just uh, by, by way of a wrap-up for the show, uh, we We've seen uh, in the headlines uh, much about the counteroffensive uh, just starting uh, in in, uh, well, in in Russia by by uh, led by of course by the Ukrainians. Um, what do we know so far? Uh, what what does this mean? Because and then we've had the official word from Zelensky uh, as well, because of that that this is happening. But uh, what does it actually mean in in real terms? Do we know yet?
2: Uh, very difficult to tell because we do not have uh, really serious news. Uh, but still, we now know that that this offensive is actually happening, and uh, I mean. There was much discussion about this but what we can say i think it's a very difficult endeavor for the ukrainians because uh solution uh, the the General commander-in-chief he's he has really um, to rely on very young troops they, they have been educated by nato and so on but they do not have the experience of war of the first year. Uh, the Ukrainians have lost many, many uh, uh, sergeants and young officers uh, in, in the first year that have been educated uh, and trained by, the, by NATO. And now Sol- solution is, I think, in a comparable situation as Dwight Eisenhower was uh, uh, before D-Day. Uh, we celebrated uh, last week. Also Eisenhower had to rely on very young and unexperienced troops and now solution uh, is in a similar situation uh, and on the other on the other side are the Russians that have made many mistakes in the last half year but still they have learned from them and so uh, I think I do not expect a very quick breakthrough uh, I rather expect a long struggle and I'm, I'm not so sure whether this war will be over very soon.
0: And also uh, some I would say some pauses as well there was a very good piece uh, in, in the Wall Street Journal the other day which is also much uh, of course has been made about the delivery of, of F-16's um and how this is this potent- it has the potential to be quite a game changer in the conflict but at the same time you know you have to uh, of course, retrain pilots—pilots who've been flying around on Russian-made aircraft that belonged, well, some some to uh, not just the Ukrainian Air Force, but also uh, Russian-made aircraft that were supplied by other uh, now now NATO members, but uh, but of course former East Bloc countries. But now you have to go on to a new type of aircraft, uh, which is different technology, different cockpit, uh, different, uh, of course, uh, flying standards around it as well. And this, you know, you don't you don't retrain overnight on an aircraft.
2: Yeah, sure. And I'm not so sure about this g- game crash game-changer question. I mean, uh, a couple of months ago, the, the, the Leopard 2 tanks uh, were supposed to be the game-changers. Now we have the F-16. I think in, in such a big, big land war, I mean, we, it's, it really messes it's, it's a lot of geography, geography involved. And I think probably the education, the training is very important and also some m- minesweepers or, or maybe um, units that can build bridges over, 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 uh, over, over rivers and so on. I think that's at least as important as the F-16. I mean, F-16 is also a psychological question. Of course, it's military militarily important, but I'm not so sure whether we can isolate uh, one type of weapon as a game-changer.
0: Indeed. Now I'm going to try to make a really smooth transition from talking about uh, <laughs> General Dynamics uh, manufactured fighter planes to taking us back to Rome now for the story that everyone has been waiting for, Juliet, which is, uh, which, which is I guess it's a little bit of a story about the passagiata but okay of course, but, why, why women what, in Rome uh, are, are, are so well-dressed. Are an so
1: overly dressed. O- well, overly
0: dressed or well-dressed? Well, it's overly dressed.
1: Let, let me put it this way. This is in the FT, and it's an interview with Silvia Venturini, Fendi, the granddaughter yep. of the founders of Fendi. And um, she says, you know, Fendi is a bit loud and flashy. It's not your quiet luxury um, brand. But Fendi says that that's a very distinctively Roman quality because she says when you're born in Rome, you're not afraid of decoration. And she says, my mother used to say, why do we like to dress up in Rome? Because when you go to a dinner in a private house, you're close to a Caravaggio painting. So you need to be noticed. So you need to be decorated. I love that quote.
0: Okay, and this this is this is just a, a snapshot of a larger piece with with Sylvia. All about
1: Fendi, yeah. Okay, yep.
0: I, I'm wondering if and it and the
1: baguette bag. Which is for what men and women nowadays? Do you I've, have one?
0: No, no, I don't. But it'd be, it would be great for my I my. So, so, I thought you you must. Have I one. don't
1: have one, but if you okay, want to get me. A hopefully, present. your
0: husband's listening. Um, I just I think I have to bring in Emma Nelson uh, <laughs> on, on on this one. Emma, you must. Yes. You're sitting there going. You you, 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 you you have a view about this. I'm, of yeah, course I do. I'm, of course. Top,
4: I'm dressed. I'm, th- I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Because obviously it's, you know, when you start in, on a Sunday morning, quiet Sunday in London, you expect I'm going to be having lunch by Caravaggio. But Renaissance women often don't wear very much, do they? Um, my Renaissance to- women
1: don't. No, no. So
4: I'm not entirely oh. sure where the evening is going to end. I mean, oh. you may start with all your, your jewels and your baubles, but I'm not entirely sure what you're supposed to do at the end of it.
1: I'm not sure either, Tyler. Do you
0: think Renaissance women had baguette bags? That's my question. Yes,
4: of course they did. <laughs> but they were eating so. brioche
0: it, it Emma. Just before we go, so yes. have you been thinking about the the A to Z? Are, are you going to do the A to Z? Are you going to do the Austrian cookbook, or are you going to do the 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 A to Z cookbook uh, for uh, for the UK?
4: Oh God, well, the I think the UK might take a little while, and um, we might have to shush it up with something like pizza and pasta and and curry. I think so, it, so, so, so the Italian imports. one's fine. I can. I can, I think what we might be able to do, Juliet, if you don't mind me sort of piggybacking or riding on your coattails, is whether we could do it a, a, a generic. You do yours. I'll do one. We'll get. You know, Sophie we'll Grogo.com. Well. Yeah, she's already, we'll a she's already set her camera
0: up. She's already doing yeah. her TikTok here as well. No,
4: I've we got go. my L's for, for, for oh, Andrew in okay, Mallorca. Okay. What's,
0: What's the what L's? What the L's very quickly?
1: Langoustine, lobster, lentils. He can go okay. all over that. Lettuce.
0: Hopefully, he's listening. Everyone <laughs> have to leave it there. Juliet Lindley, Chris Toffmuller, Andrew Tuck, Emma Nelson. Thanks very much. Also to Mary Fitzgerald and Charlotte von Stotzingen. Our producers today, Desiree Bendley and also Emin Elson, our studio managers, were also at Tamsin, Howard back in London. I'm Tyler Burley Monocle on Sunday is back this time next week and I'll be here. Goodbye.